Good evening, and hope you're having a good week. We're going to continue tonight our study of 1 Corinthians. So I hope you have a Bible in front of you. Like I've said every week, this study goes a lot better if you're reading along with me instead of just letting me read to you. Uh, so we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. If you need to pause this and turn there right now, you can. Um, one thing you may notice if, as you read the, the Bible, especially the works of Paul, is that certain writers, and Paul is chief among them, they have a tendency to chase rabbits. And I know that's a tendency of a lot of speakers and authors. I probably have that tendency myself. And usually it's a sign of a lack of focus or even arrogance. Like, I just love the sound of my own voice. And I love to share my opinions on any subject, so might as well make you hear them. But since God is inspiring the words of Paul as he's writing these down in 1 Corinthians, we know that these rabbit trails are really profitable. And the reason I say all that is tonight we're going to look at one of those rabbit trails. So if you've been with us so far, you probably know already, you should know already if I've done my job, that the early chapters of 1 Corinthians are focused on the unity of the church. Remember, Paul's writing to an actual group of people, an actual church in an actual city, Corinth, this uh, provincial capital and port city in Greece. And he's writing to them to address certain issues that the people there, the leaders there, have asked him to weigh in on. And before he gets to any of those specific issues, he attacks the fact that they are divided. There's factions in their congregation. And so he talks the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. The main theme is the unity of God's people, which is something of incredible importance to Paul, more importantly, of importance to God and should be important, of importance to us. So in the middle of this talk about unity, he, he's been talking, let me, let me just sum up last week before I get into this week. Last week, he talked about how when he came to Corinth to start a church, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 18. By the way, isn't it cool that you can read words of Paul written uh, to a, in a letter to a church, and then you can go back and check them against what Luke says about that same event in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 18 tells us the story of Paul starting the church in Corinth. And he said, when I came to you, I didn't come with lofty wisdom. I didn't come with these great rhetorical techniques. In fact, I came in a lot of fear and trembling. I wasn't very impressive. I'm not a great speaker. Um, I just trusted the spirit to show up in power. And when you read that, some people read that to say, oh, I'm I'm just coming to do miracles, and that's going to convince people more than anything I have to say. Not what Paul's saying here. In fact, in Acts 18, there's no evidence that Paul did miracles in Corinth. What he's saying is, I didn't trust in my ability to convince you with my own uh, speaking, but I trusted the Spirit to convince you. I trusted the Spirit to change lives. And it's an important reminder uh, it doesn't matter whether your preacher, your teacher, uh, your author is talented or not. The person who makes the difference in someone's life is the Holy Spirit of God. So he mentions that, and that's what we read last week in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2. And that sends him on a rabbit trail about how much we need the Holy Spirit. So here's my little introduction before we get into the passage this week. Uh, recently, because there's no live sports on TV during this pandemic, 
uh, ESPN ran this long series of documentaries about the 1990s era Chicago Bulls. If you're not a sports fan, just bear with me. This won't last long. But if you are, you probably remember, even if you're not an NBA fan, you probably remember during the 1990s, the Chicago Bulls were the best team in basketball, except for those two years when the Rockets were. Got to give them their props. But Michael Jordan was the best player in basketball. He had a great supporting cast. He had a great coach. They won six championships in the 1990s alone. So that's six out of 10 years, they were the best team in the league. And this documentary shows what brought that to an end was the general manager of the team, the guy who hires and fires, who makes trades, who cuts players, signs contracts. He got it in his mind that he wanted to rebuild. He said to himself, look, I built this team. I can do it again. I don't need all these guys. I don't need this coach. I don't need these players. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. He fired the coach. Michael Jordan said, well, if my coach isn't here, I don't want to be here. And he retired. And then all these other players slowly trickled away. And it's been 25 years and the Bulls haven't won a championship since then. Now, am I comparing Michael Jordan to the Holy Spirit? Of course not. What I am saying, though, is like that general manager, we as Christians can be arrogant enough sometimes to think, oh, I don't need the Holy Spirit for everything. I mean, sure, I need him to show up when uh, the chips are down and I'm really in trouble and I don't know what to do. But day to day life, I can manage. Let me just call on him when I need him. Uh, Otherwise, I'll just do things on my own. After all, as I've heard many times from Christian people, God gave me a brain. I'm going to use it. We need the Holy Spirit of God. And this passage shows why. So verse six begins with this. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So let me just say a couple of things. First of all, he starts with this phrase, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. You know, he's just gotten finished saying we didn't come to impart worldly wisdom. Now he's saying, but among the mature, we do impart wisdom. That term, the mature, doesn't mean people who've been Christians for 20 years or more. It doesn't mean people who have memorized a certain amount of scripture or who have overcome certain sins or who have donated a certain amount to the church. Among the mature basically means people who are bought in, people who have chosen to submit completely to Christ as best they know how. It, it really it really ties in well with what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty five when he's praying to the Father and he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children, which is a beautiful thing. Jesus is remarking about how I've got these critics who are some of the most educated people in my country and they are completely opposed to my message. And yet these people over here, most of whom are unschooled, unsophisticated, and they are drinking it in like crazy. They, they just can't get enough of your truth. Paul has already said, I'm not an impressive speaker, but anyone who wants to know about God can learn about them from Paul. 
Why? Not by his talent, but because the spirit is speaking. So that's what he's saying. Among the mature, those who are bought in, we do impart wisdom. We do impart truth. And in fact, he says it's a secret and hidden wisdom. It's stuff that people would love to know, but they don't know because they're not receptive to the truth of God. In verse eight, uh, what he's saying is the people who are in charge in this world are not automatically knowledgeable about what's most important. And, and the example he gives is the religious leaders of his day, as we've already shared. The religious leaders of Paul's country, by the way, people who Paul at one point would have considered his heroes. Most of them were profoundly opposed to Jesus, would not hear his message, rejected him outright. And then the political leaders sent from Rome, Pontius Pilate, for instance, probably a man with a better resume than 99% of us, uh, qualifications out the wazoo. And yet in the key moment, the moment of truth of his life, he rejected Christ. He sent Christ to the cross Uh, So Paul's point is you can't just look at someone's resume, someone's education, someone's qualifications and say, well, whatever they say about God is probably true because they know more than I do. No, the question is not how much does that person know? The question is, is the Holy Spirit speaking? The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals spiritual truth, not a human instrument. So it goes on in verse nine and says, but as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of mine imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, I have to say, verse 9 is sometimes quoted by Christians as a way of saying, hey, we can't know anything about heaven. And verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 2 proves that. We can't know anything about it. We just have to wait till we get there because no eye is seen, no ear is heard, no heart is conceived what God has planned for the people who love him. Well, that's not what that verse is about. And even if it was, verse 10 contradicts that whole point. It says, but the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. It's not about heaven. What he's talking about here is he's talking about how God has plans for humanity. God has plans to rescue this world. God has plans for your life, for my life. And those are things that no human mind can predict or search out. Let's just, let's just say it like it is. None of us, no human being could have invented the God of the Bible, the plan of God to save the world. It, it's not something we would have predicted or written ourselves. Uh, that's, that's his point. His point is... That when someone, and we hear this sometimes, when someone hears biblical truth and they say, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Or, you know, if I believed in God, he wouldn't be a God like the God of the Bible. Or I can't understand a God who would do things the way you're describing. That just does not compute for me. Well, exactly. That's that's the truth of all of us. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It shouldn't surprise us that people who have not yet submitted to the Holy Spirit hear the message of God, hear the word of God, and go, it doesn't make sense to me. That's what Paul's saying. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has conceived what God has planned for his people, but the Holy Spirit has made these things clear to us. You have to have the Spirit of God speaking, or you can't really grasp the plan of God for the world. 
Verse 11, he goes on and says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of the person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So maybe you've experienced this before when someone who doesn't really know you well tries to figure out what you're really thinking or says things that indicate they know where you're thinking or what you're thinking or what you're planning or they ascribe certain motivations to you. Let me just give you an example from my own life because this happens as a pastor. People who are uh, part of my church or even not part of my church will ascribe certain motivations to me sometimes and I'll say, well, that's not at all what I'm doing. Let me tell you kind of a funny example. This was years ago at another church. it was a Sunday when we were wearing suits and ties. We didn't always do that. And our music minister was getting ready for worship. So there were a handful of people in the, in the sanctuary. He's moving chairs around. He's directing orchestra. He's basically working himself up into a sweat. So he's in shirt sleeves. And I walk in to the sanctuary and he waves at me and I walk up to him. And he says, could you do me a favor? I left my suit coat in my office. Would you mind getting it for me? I said, no problem, because I was already ready for worship. So I went to his office. I grabbed his suit coat. I brought it out and I draped it across one of the chairs in the choir loft. And then I went about my business. So later that day, a person in the church came up to me and said, you know, I really appreciate what you did before worship today. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, your music minister wasn't wearing a coat. And you went and you put that coat there and like to say, you better wear this, buddy. And I thought, and in fact, I told him that's not what happened. I was getting his coat for him because he'd left it in his office. He asked me to do it as a favor. It was not me laying down the law. And I had a laugh about that because it, it, it was the complete opposite of what that man interpreted the situation. He thought I was Mr. Big Time in Charge, and, and in reality, I was doing a favor for a friend. So that's just one example of what I'm talking about. We've all experienced moments where someone has said something to us and said, I bet you think you're better than me, or I know this is what you're thinking right now. And we've thought to ourselves, that's not at all what I'm thinking. And that can be very frustrating sometimes. It can start fights that don't even need to be fights. It can lead to people accusing you of things that you're not guilty of. Well, if you've ever experienced anything like that, and you probably have, think about how God feels when we, his people, in ignorance, say things about him that aren't true. Perfect example, when a natural disaster hits. And some TV preacher is just falling all over himself to say, well, it's because of the sin of that city. You know, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, for instance, oh, that's such a sinful city. That's why God did it. Well, when uh, when Harvey hit the Houston area, is it because Houston is sinful? We, We can bring real embarrassment to the cause of Christ by trying to trying to act like we know what God's thinking. There's really only one way to know what God's thinking, and we're going to get into what that is later on in this study. But what I'm trying to say is let's be humble. Let's be humble before him. Because what he says here is the only one who comprehends the, the mind of God is the, is the spirit of God. Be humble whenever you speak on God's behalf. So verse 12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. He's saying, we don't learn by the Spirit that is in this world right now. And, And let me just make something clear. I don't know that I need to dwell on this long. But this is not a knock on secular education, Uh, going to school, on pursuing knowledge in other fields other than the Bible and theology. That's all very good. And if you have opportunity to learn, if you have opportunity to grow in some area, you should take it. Because as St. Augustine said, all knowledge is God's knowledge. All truth is God's truth. Uh, So pursue it. But all knowledge has limits. You can get a PhD in history, and that's that's great for you. I, I'd be a real admirer of yours because I love history. But if you have a PhD in history, it won't help you fix your car when it breaks down on the side of the road. I had a, a friend whose brother was a PhD in music, in voice, and he used to tease him sometimes and say, you're never going to be on an airplane and hear somebody say, oh, my, my husband is sick. Is there a doctor of singing in the plane? Uh, so all knowledge has limits except for the, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit. There's something very democratic about the way God does things because, well, I'll just tell you the story to illustrate this. William Tyndall, you may have heard of him. Tyndall was a man who lived in the 1500s back when almost all over the world, churches kept Bibles chained to the pulpit. Literally, you could not get a Bible. And if you did get your hands on a Bible, sneak in and steal the Bible and break the chain and and take it home. It was written in Latin and you probably couldn't read Latin because only the highly educated could. William Tyndall came along and was one of the first to say, we need to put the Bible in the language of ordinary people. In Tyndall's case, he was an Englishman. It meant translating the Bible into the English language. He was a great pioneer for us. And one of the stories that I love about him is he was talking to a group of clergymen uh, who were criticizing him, priests who were criticizing him for trying to translate the Bible into English. And their whole point was the ordinary people can't handle the truth. You need to let us interpret the truth for them. Or otherwise, all kinds of error is going to result. And his statement was, I'm not, this is not a direct quote. This is a paraphrase. He looked one of these priests in the eye and said, if I live long enough, I'm going to make sure the average boy pushing a plow or walking behind a plow knows more of the scripture than you do with all your seminary education. I love that story. There's something very beautiful and democratic about the fact that the Holy Spirit of God speaks to a a five-year-old child just like a Ph.D. in theology. And actually, that five-year-old child may comprehend more of the things of God if he or she is willing to listen to the Spirit And that theology professor is caught up in their own learning and their own knowledge. So verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, that's important. Uh, It's important to distinguish when he says we're speaking spiritual truths to those who are spiritual That's not to say that there's this class in the church. Here's the spiritual people, and they can ascertain spiritual truth, and the less spiritual people are down here. It's not a point of pride. What it's saying is anybody who chooses to let the Spirit lead them, anybody who heeds the Spirit's voice, who hears the Spirit speaking, the spiritual person is anyone who says, I don't trust myself. I don't think I know it all. 
I want to listen to the, what the Holy Spirit says. That's the person who goes to church or goes to life group or sits down and listens to a Bible study or, or opens the word of God for themselves. And when they do, they're saying to themselves, I need to learn right now. I am hungry for more knowledge of God and his ways and his will. That's the spiritual person. No matter the level of education or what sins they still struggle with or how long they've been Christians, that's the spiritual person. Verse 14, he, he contrasts that person with the natural person. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. So when he talks about the natural person, I, I just need to share this goofy little story. Um, years ago, Carrie and I were playing Trivial Pursuit with another couple. And actually, there were several couples, but there was one of our friends who just could not wrap his mind around a question. The question was something like this. Which future president of the United States once worked as a lifeguard and as a football announcer? Okay, the answer is Ronald Reagan. But our friend could not wrap his mind around the question. He kept getting stuck on that phrase, future president. And he kept saying, well, I don't get the question he would not have known he was going to be president someday. So how do I know who it is? And we said, well, that's not the point. I mean, we're, we're looking back on it. So we already know he's president at the time. He wasn't, he would have been future. So don't worry about that. Just which president used to work as a, a lifeguard and a football announcer. And he said, yeah, 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 but you're not getting the point. He wouldn't have known he was going to be a future president. And we just, Every time Carrie and I talk about that story, we laugh and laugh because, number one, this guy is not a dummy. He just had a mental block about that question. Now, why do I tell you that story? There are spiritual truths that once you learn them, they seem to make so much sense. All of a sudden, the whole world seems to fall into place. This is why things are the way they are. This is, this is the plan for the future. And you're thinking, why didn't I know this all along? Spiritual truth, when it falls into place, when it clicks, the whole world starts to make more sense. But up until then, you can't wrap your mind around it. You're the natural person. You're, you're trying to ascertain things based on human nature. And you need the Spirit of God to show you the truth. And then I want to talk about that phrase also, the, the spiritual person judges all things, but is judged by no one. Uh, what Paul's point is, is it really doesn't matter. If you're a spiritual person and people think you're ignorant, that's okay. That, that doesn't really matter. If you are going out sharing the truth with others and they think you're a religious nut, that's okay too. What matters is what Christ thinks of you, not what others think of you. You think that Paul has dealt with this whole aspect of people judging him and thinking he's a fool? Yeah, over and over again. He's saying none of that really matters. Nobody can really judge you except Christ himself. So final verse, verse 16 uh, for this week. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I hope you've stuck with this Bible study this long. We're 23 minutes in because this was the payoff. This is one of the great promises of Scripture. We have the mind of Christ. Is that not amazing? Let me tell you how amazing it is. People will pay vast sums of money, I mean fortunes, for the opportunity to get into a small room 
with a politician, a president, a political candidate, a congressman, a senator, vice president, you name it. They'll pay all this money to their campaign for private access. Why? Because they want to be on the inside, because they want to sit down and say, okay, I heard that speech you made the other day. What do you really think? I was watching the news and here's what they were saying about about this issue. What's really going on? They want to know the dirt. They want to know the truth. And I kind of get that. But God, who knows all things, is willing to give his knowledge away for free. He is willing to bring you in on the inside and say, I'm going to tell you everything I'm thinking at exactly the moment you need to hear it and exactly the way you need to apply it in your life. I am going to give you my mind, access to my brain anytime you need it for free. And that is open to anyone, anyone who believes, anyone who trusts, anybody who loves him. And is that not a great promise? Now, Three takeaways from this study, from from this scripture. Number one, if you haven't gotten this message so far, you should have, but here we go. We need the spirit in order to understand truth, spiritual truth. Remember, Proverbs 1 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You don't really know anything until you put God first in your life, not anything that's eternal. Um, So does that mean that Anytime you sit down to read the word of God for yourself, you need to pray first that he would open your mind to the truth, that he would communicate spiritual truth to your heart. Absolutely. And a lot of you are probably in the habit of doing that, but it means so much more than that. It means why not stay in constant contact with the Lord, open to hearing his voice throughout the day in case he wants to speak to you through one of the circumstances of your life or give you guidance in some decision you're making. Why not put yourself in contact with him 24-7, or at least every time you're awake, so that you don't miss a single message? Second takeaway, not only do we need the Spirit in order to understand truth, we need the Holy Spirit in order to communicate truth. Now, those of us who are preachers, uh, those of us who are Bible study leaders, and that's many of you watching me right now, uh, hopefully we know that and we're praying every day that God would use us as his vessels and that none of us would get in the way. But all of us, and here's where I'm tying in this Bible study with Sunday's message, all of us are supposed to communicate God's truth. And we all have opportunities at times to do that. And we're praying, I hope, for boldness that when the moment comes to speak the truth and love to somebody, we'll, we'll do it. Um, but we need to be led by the Holy Spirit when we do that. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes hearts, not us. And you can get the message exactly right and, and still fail if you're not operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. So pray, pray, and, and just say, Lord, I want to be a faithful witness. Whenever you give me opportunity, I want to share the truth and I want to say the right words, but most of all, I want you to operate through my words and change the hearts of the people I'm talking to. And then the third thing, you never know when someone is really ready to submit to the Spirit. So you can't predict when you preach a sermon, when you teach a Bible study, when you witness to someone about the Lord, when you confront somebody about a change that they need to make, you don't know how they're going to respond. They could walk away, they could ignore you, they could get angry with you, or they could repent and their life could change forever. Just because they don't respond positively does not mean you've been unfaithful. 
or ineffective. There are some people who are just not ready yet to submit to the Spirit of God. And what the encouragement I can give you is, even if it's been a long time since you've seen somebody's life change based on something you said, don't stop saying the truth. Don't stop speaking. Uh, some of you Baylor folks are probably familiar with Randall O'Brien. Uh, he was, uh, maybe still is, a professor there at Baylor and was in the administration at one point. I heard him speak at a Bible conference once, and he told this story that I've never forgotten. It's been a long time since I've heard it. But he was a pastor of a church in Arkansas, a big, big church, as I understand it. And uh, he was getting pretty burned out, working hard constantly. It's it's a burden uh, leading a big congregation like that. And uh, one day, one of the wealthier members of the church came and surprised him with a ticket to a big football game that weekend. And so he thought, oh, good. I needed something like this, just a, a chance to get away and do something fun. Uh, and he was really looking forward to it. And a couple of days before the game, he gets a call from this family that said their, their father had passed away. And you know he wasn't a member of your church, but uh, he faithfully listened to you on the radio. And would you come and please, please do his funeral? And he prayed about it. He, he just did not feel right about saying no. So he had to give the ticket away to somebody else. And he thought, well, maybe I'll get to watch the game on TV. Day of the funeral, he's in the car with the funeral director and they're driving up into the Ozark Mountains and driving and driving and driving. And they never seem to get there. And he's thinking to himself, well, I guess I won't even be able to watch it on TV now. They get out at this little cemetery way up in the hills. And there's just this handful of people there. As he starts to share from the word of God, um, he starts to get the energy and the, and, the, and the sense that, yeah, God is speaking through me. This is good. I'm glad I did this. I, I definitely made the right decision. After he's done and, and the group starts to disperse, this one man comes over to him. And the man says, you know, I don't really know this family well. I didn't really know this man who's passed away all that well. But I, I just want to say one thing to you. And he paused and he said, never ever, ever stop preaching the gospel. And Dr. O'Brien said he didn't know if that guy was an angel or what, but he just felt like the whole reason God prompted him to drive up into the mountains instead of taking an expensive football ticket was to hear that one message, never stop preaching the gospel. You may say, okay, that's fine for you, Jeff. You're a preacher by trade. And I'm sure that's very encouraging for you. And yet we're all called to communicate the gospel of God. Don't stop. If you haven't started, start. But don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Communicate God's truth however you have an opportunity, whenever you have an opportunity, and lean on his Holy Spirit to make the change in people's lives. It's good to see you, at least uh, online, and hope we'll see you either online or in person this weekend. God bless you. Love being your pastor. Have a great week.